on Friday, uh, March 3rd of this year, four U.S. citizens were kidnapped after a brazen attack carried out by multiple gunmen in the northern Mexico, northern Mexico uh, border city of Matamoros. You perhaps have heard of it. The American citizens crossed into Matamoros, just south of Brownsville, Texas, in a white minivan with North Carolina plates on Friday. Shortly after crossing into Mexico, unidentified gunmen shot the passengers of the vehicle. The gunmen herded the four U.S. citizens into another vehicle and fled the scene with them, according to the embassy. The U.S. citizens were taken into captivity after getting caught in the middle of a confrontation between groups, according to Mexican President Andreas Manuel Lopez Obrador, who said during his daily press conference on Monday that they crossed the border to buy medicines in Mexico. The U.S. State Department's travel advisory for this particular region within Mexico warns U.S. citizens not to travel there. However, being a border city, U.S. citizens who live in Brownsville or elsewhere in Texas frequently cross to visit family, to get medical care, or to shop. It's also a crossing point for people traveling to other parts of Mexico. In a statement on Monday, March 6th, Ken Salazar, who is the U.S. ambassador to Mexico, said that various U.S. law enforcement officials are working with Mexican authorities at every level of government to secure their safe return. As I was preparing this uh, week for today's message, I couldn't help but notice the parallels between this story and the story we're going to be looking at this morning in Genesis chapter 14. Like the four Americans who were taken into captivity, we're going to see a man named Lot, Abram's nephew, who was also taken into captivity. As the four Americans were taken into captivity after, being, after getting caught in the middle of a confrontation between two groups, so Lot is going to be taken into captivity after getting caught in the middle of a confrontation between two groups. As the four Americans decided, against their better judgment, to separate themselves from the safety of their own country to enter a dangerous land, Mexico, because of the benefits that it offered, seeing family, receiving medical care at a cheaper price, and shopping. So Lot decided against his better judgment to separate himself from the safety of God's presence to enter a dangerous land, Sodom, because of the benefits it offered, the well-watered plains of the Jordan. These two stories are significant to us because though we may not ever know what it is like to be taken captive by armed drug cartels like the ones in Mexico, or what it is like to be taken as a prisoner of war between two warring nations or coalition of nations like Lot, we do know what it is like to be taken captive by other things. Some of us have been taken captive by drugs. Some of us have been taken captive by sex. Some of us have been taken captive by power. Some of us have been taken captive by money. And some of us have been taken captive by our own emotions and our thoughts. We become a slave to what we think. 
But all of us have been taken captive by sin. Jesus said in John 8, 34, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave, a captive of sin. The Apostle Paul writes to us in Romans 3, 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A simple way to define sin is the act of going against God and his ways. It makes sense that when we are going against something, we are separating ourselves from it. When we find ourselves going against God, we are separating ourselves from him in our relationship. By definition, then, sin separates us from God and leads a person into spiritual captivity by the adversary. And that is true in every single human being's case. The difference with us is that we've been set free by our faith, by repentance in Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, there are many people today who are still captive by sin, by the adversary, who are separated from God in their relationship. They may not even recognize and don't even know it. Some, if you say that that is the case, won't even believe it. We're living in a society, in a world where all of us at some point are enslaved, are captured by something. And with that in mind, I want to raise this question for the passage this morning. What is God saying to his church today when those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary? This is the question that this chapter raises. It's important to note that when we enter into this chapter, when we last Uh, left Genesis, we saw that Lot chose the well-watered plains of the Jordan and he decided to move eastward away from Abram. When he moves away from Abram, he's moving away from the godliest person that he knows in his life and he's moving away from the person who who has the most godly influence in his life. Lot leaves Abram. When he leaves Abram and leaves God, Uh, uh, When he leaves Abram, he is leaving God and has separated himself from the Lord. And that's important to realize when we enter into this chapter. Because of that separation, he's going to go into captivity. So what is God saying to his church today when those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary? Most of you already know these principles, but these are the principles that are embedded in Genesis chapter 14. And we need to know this, and God wants us to know this as well going forward and maybe perhaps sharing these truths with people whom you believe to be separated from God by the adversary. So number one, when those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary, it will be because there was a rebellion against the sovereign authority of God by evil forces. That's where it all begins. Verses 1 to 4. It came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Ketileomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that they, these kings, a coalition of four kings from the east, 
They made war. This is the first time the term war is used in the Bible. They made war with a coalition of five kings from the west. They were Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemaber, king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. All these joined together in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. So you have two coalition, two opposing forces. Watch. Twelve years they, the coalition of five kings, served Ketaleomer. Who is Ketaleomer? He is a king who had sovereign authority over the five kings. In the thirteenth year, these five kings decide to rebel against the sovereign authority who was Ketaleomer. Now what is interesting to note, if I go back, you will notice the names Bera, king of Sodom, and Bersha, king of Gomorrah. Bera and Bersha are underlined. Why did I underline them? It is interesting to note that the term Bera is related to the verb to be evil, and it means in evil. The, ter- the name Bersha is related to the Hebrew verb meaning to be wicked, and it means in wickedness. These two kings apparently to be, are apparently the leader of this five-king coalition. The fact that Bera and Bersha are basically labeled evil and wicked is suggesting that they are leading evil and wicked forces against the sovereign authority of Ketaleomer. The reason why Lot is going to be taken into captivity is because there was a rebellion against the sovereign authority of God by evil forces. That's the point. These forces that I'm talking about now are demonic. They're spirit. We're not talking about army forces now. In the Bible, we're talking about literal armies that rebelled against the divine authority. But we are captive by, we're captive, if you, before you became a believer, we were enslaved to sin. And all of that, uh, our slavery to sin started ultimately with the rebellion of Satan and his demons rebelling against God, the divine authority. Uh, I want to read a passage to you in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15, which is often referred to the fall of Satan. Beginning in verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, referring to Satan, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet, Satan, you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths or recesses of the pit. There we see the fall of Satan. Now, an interesting passage in the book of Revelation we see in Revelation 12, 3, 4, 
And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his head. His tail, referring to the dragon, is, a, is, a, is, is Satan. His tail, Satan's tail, drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. The stars is representing fallen angels. Many understand this passage in reference to speak of the rebellion of a third of the angelic host following after Satan and his rebellion against God's divine authority. So the point that the first four verses are simply making is that when those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary, it will be because there was a rebellion against the sovereign authority of God by evil forces. That's what verses 1 to 4 is communicating to us. We know that to be true, but here it is in God's word. If you ever believe that there was a rebellion by Satan and his demons, you can turn to this passage, and that's what it's referring to, ultimately. Number two, when those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary, it will be because the evil forces arrayed against them are too powerful to overcome on their own. Verses 5 to 8. Now in the 14th year, Ketileomer and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephaim in Ashtaroth, Carnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shaveh, Kariathim, and the Horites in their mountain of Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then these four coalition of four kings turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who dwelt in Hazazon Tamar. Now there are six people groups that the coalition of four kings dominated and took control over. Their names, the Rephaim and the Zuzim and the Emim. I underlined those three people groups because they're referred to as giants in the Bible. And the author is telling us that these six people groups that the kings, that Ketileomer and his four king coalition take control over are far more powerful than the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and that coalition. If these more powerful groups of people were subjected to Cordelaomer, how much more so are the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah going to be subjected to Cordelaomer? This is simply telling us, the author is conveying to us in this passage, that when those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary, it's going to be because the evil forces arrayed against them are too powerful to overcome on their own. And when we get caught into captivity in something, ultimately that's going to be the reason why. The forces that we're going up against, spiritual forces, are too great for us to try to deal with on our own. When we try to do that, we're not only are we already in captivity to sin if you're a non-believer, but if you're dealing with something in your own personal life and you try to deal with it on your own, the forces that are arrayed against us are too powerful for us to deal with it on our own and we'll be subjected to it. 
Victor Hamilton says, how will these minor kings stand up against the eastern four kings when forces much more powerful than they have have already capitulated? They won't be able to stand. Martin Luther understood this concept in his in this song that we sang earlier this morning. In the first verse of Martin Luther's song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, he says these words, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe, his craft and his power are great, and he is armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Martin Luther knew that the forces arrayed against us are way too powerful for us to deal with on our own, and if we attempt to do so, do so, we'll be in captivity. And that's why Lot is in captivity. He's going against forces that are way too powerful for him. Number three, when those who have been When those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary, it will often be due to a lack of courageous leadership in the midst of a conflict. Let me rephrase it this way. When those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary, it will often be due to a lack of courageous leadership in the midst of a culture war. Verse 10, now the valley of Siddim was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled out of fear. Now some fell there, that is, some were either hiding in these pits because they were afraid, or they died by falling into these pits, and the remainder of the fighting force fled to the mountains out of fear. Here you have King Sodom and King Gomorrah, whose responsibility is to set the captive free. That's his responsibility as a king of his domain. He is to set the people who've been taken into captivity free. That's his responsibility. But in the midst of the conflict, he's too afraid, and he either jumps in the pit because he was afraid, or some of them fell in there and they died. But the point is that these kings were afraid in the midst of the conflict. And because they were afraid, they didn't engage in the conflict. And so that contributed to Lot being taken captive. And there are many leaders today who have the responsibility and the calling to set the captive free. That's the church's responsibility. And unfortunately, we're going to be living in a time, we are living in a time, when people are going to be afraid to enter into conflict, will remain silent, and not carry out their due responsibilities of setting the captive free for those who are actually still captured by the enemy and are dead in their trespasses and their sins. God is telling the church today that when those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary, it will often be due to a lack of courageous leadership in the midst of a conflict, in the midst of a culture war. And we're in one today. He said, what were these pits anyway? What were these pits? You may be curious why these pits were even there. Uh, Gordon Wenham says, in certain places in the Middle East, petroleum oozes to the surface and can then be dug out. And apparently these kings would use these pits to hide. 
because they didn't want to engage in a battle. That's unfortunate, but that's a reality we're going to be living in today. Those who are called to set the captives free won't do it out of fear. Number four, when those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary, the news of their captivity will often be delivered to outsiders when the leaders fail to carry out their responsibility to set the captives free. Verses 11 to 13. Then they, they took or seized or captured all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took or seized or captured Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. So now they're captured. He's captured. He's in captivity. Then the one who had escaped the battle came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and the brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. You say, what in the world is going on here? This is the first time in the Bible that the term Hebrew is used. Why is Abram being called a Hebrew here? That's important. Why is the author emphasizing the fact that Abram is a Hebrew? Victor Hamilton writes this. He says, why in this one instance is this particular title applied to Abram? Some scholars connect the term Hebrew with the word Hebiru, H-A-B-I-R-U. The Habiru were a well-known people in the ancient Near East. They were a settled people rather than a desert or nomadic population. They had great mobility, and consequently, they were regarded as outsiders. Wherever they settled. In other words, the term or the name Hebrew seems to be more of a social categorization than an ethnic term. Others see the term Hebrew primarily as an ethnic term. That is, the term Hebrew is frequently used by non-Israelites when speaking to or about an Israelite. So for an example, an Egyptian or a Philistine would call an Israelite a Hebrew, thus designating the Israelite as an outsider. Now, regardless of one sees the term Hebrew as a social categorization or as an ethnic term, the title Hebrew emphasizes the fact that Abram is an outsider. Abram is God's child, he is God's servant, but he is not a part of the political or religious establishment. He is not a part of the structured leadership involved in the conflict. He is an outsider that God will use to do something that the established leadership is unwilling or unable to do. The fact that Abram, and the fact that Abram is called a Hebrew is to show that he's an outsider. And who is he with? He's with Mamre, a name, the Amorite, a non-Hebrew, an outsider, the brother of Eshcol and the brother of Aner. This is to show that, okay, I'm calling certain people to set the captives free. Those who are being called are unwilling to do the job. They're too afraid to do it. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use someone on the outside who is not a part of the established leadership of the church or the established leadership of government, and I'm going to use these people to do the work that those who are supposed to be doing it, those who are supposed to be doing, are failing at it. God is saying to us, 
that when those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary, the news of their captivity will often be delivered to outsiders when the leaders fail to carry out their responsibility to set the captives free. That's what he's saying here. Number five, when those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary, the outsiders who hear the news of the captivity will take the actions necessary to successfully set the captive free. Verses 14 to 16. Now when Abram, the outsider, heard that his brother was taken captive by enemy forces, he armed or led or called his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house. He went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night. And he and his servants attacked and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is in north of Damascus. He also brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the men. Did you notice the emphasis is all on action? It's the verbs. He armed or he led or he called. He went and pursued. He divided. He and his servants attacked and pursued. He brought back all the goods and he brought back his brother Lot. He's doing something that those who are called to do it are refusing or unwilling to do. He was successful in delivering the captive. You say, how is he successful? How is he successful? If you look closely, Abram was successful in delivering the captive because he surrounded himself with people he knew he could trust in times of conflict and in times of battle. Notice he selected servants who were born in his house which means he knew them. He knew that they would not abandon him in the midst of conflict. He trusted them. If you want to be successful in any battle that you may incur in your life, surround yourself with people that you know that you can trust in the times of the conflict, in, in times of conflict in your life. What else did he do? Abram went on the offensive. He took the initiative and he went and took uh, went uh, he 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 went on the offensive. That is, he went in pursuit. He didn't wait. He didn't wait for something to happen. He wasn't passive. He did something about it. Number three, Abram was successful because he was strategic in his planning. He divided his forces against them by, by night. He was successful in setting the captive free because he was strategic in his planning. And fourthly, Abram was successful in delivering Lot from captivity because he was persistent in the fight. He and his servants pursued them. Not only did he just pursue them, but he pursued them as far as Hobah, which was north of Damascus. He didn't just fight and just one time. He was persistent if we want to be successful in any battle that we may find ourselves in, or if, you want to be, if we want to be successful in delivering those who are captive or captivated by the adversary, we must surround ourselves with people that we trust, 
We must go on the offensive, we must be strategic in our planning, and we must be persistent in the fight. If we do those things, we will be like Abram, and we can help deliver the person who has been held captive by the adversary. That's what Abram did. And that's the example he is giving the church to do as well. He can only be so specific because the specific specific plans or strategy that we would employ to help people be set free from their captivity is going to be unique to each and every single individual. But these principles are, are broad enough that all Christians can employ them no matter what situation we may find ourselves in. Number five, or number six, excuse me. When those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary, the once frightened leaders will be eager to meet the outsiders who have successfully defeated their adversaries. They're going to come out of the woodwork. Verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out from hiding to meet Abram at the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Kedileomer and the kings who were with him. Victor Hamilton says that, says that the choice of such a place for the extension of greetings shows the exhilaration of the king of Sodom who was traveled northward a great distance. He was eager to meet the triumphant Abram because Abram did something that this king was unwilling to do and that was fight against his adversaries. You're going to see people who are not being obedient to God's call by setting the captive free when some outsider does it, someone who's not a part of the religious or political establishment that God uses in a powerful way, you're going to see these same people who were hiding come out and now they're going to come out and they're going to want to be a part of the celebration and the victory that God has granted his people. That's what they're going to do. Number seven. When those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary, the people God uses to deliver the captives must offer a tithe to the priestly king for the blessings that he has given. Verses 18 to 20. Then Melchizedek, this is a theophoric or a descriptive title or name that means my king is righteous, that is, he is legitimate. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, he is the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was also the priest of God Most High. And what does he do? And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies or your oppressors into your hand. So what does Abram do after he receives the blessing? From the priestly king, and he, Abram, gave the priestly king a tithe, a tenth of everything. Here is the very beginning of the principle of tithing that the church employs and ought to employ. Right here. Jesus Christ is our priestly king. And we ought to be giving him a tenth of everything that we have because of the blessings that he bestows upon us as his people. And God is saying to us, when you are used as an individual, an outsider, when you're an individual that God uses to set a captive free and he blesses you, 
with triumph and victory, the, the appropriate response is to offer a tenth of what we have to him as gratitude for his divine blessings upon us in using us and on, and, and, and on performing a work that only he can do and setting a captive to Satan free. It's right here. That is the appropriate response. And number eight, when those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary, the people God uses to deliver the captives are morally obligated from personally receiving anything in return from self-centered, evil, wicked leaders for their accomplishments. Verses 21 to 24. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. Notice the contrast between the king Melchizedek of Salem and the king of uh, Sodom. The king, of, uh, the king Melchizedek says, the first words out of his mouth was, blessed be the God of Abraham. Blessed be Abraham. Those are his first words. What's the first words of this king? Give me. <laughs> the contrast between the two kings. Give me the persons, literally the souls, and take the goods for yourself, Abram. Abram knows who he's dealing with. So he said, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand, that is in an oath. I am obligated to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, that is the smallest item of value, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. The only thing that I will take is accept those things, only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. It is clear that Abram understood the person that he was dealing with, and if he took what this wicked king was offering, he knew that this wicked king would begin to take credit for what God had done in his life, and he was going to start... And Abram says, no way. I'm not giving you that opportunity. When those who have been separated from God are taken into captivity by the adversary, the people God uses to, deli to, del to deliver the captives are morally obligated from personally receiving anything in return from self-centered wicked leaders for their accomplishments. This is the message that God has given his church today in Genesis chapter 14 to 24. As I mentioned earlier, we were all once captured by sin. We were enslaved to it. And unless God sent his son into this world, we would still be there. Only by God's grace are we no longer captive to sin. He set us free. Galatians 6.17 says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves, captives of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. That's the only reason why we're set free. And now we have a mission as the church to set the captives free. That's our mission. How many churches are actually speaking about such things and actually strategizing like Abram to accomplish those very things? We don't talk about being separated from God on account of our sin today. We don't want to talk about sin today in our churches. It's too offensive. It's not a biblical concept. You can't read Genesis 14 and come, and come away without saying that we're enslaved to sin 
and we need to be set free through the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. As the U.S. ambassador to Mexico said, that various U.S. law enforcement officials were working with Mexican authorities to secure the safe return of those who were taken captive, we as Christians, like Abram before us, must be working with God, the divine authority, to secure the safe return of those who are lost, that those who have been taken captive by the adversary. May our church be a church that does that. May you and I be sensitive to God's spirit and leading when we see someone who is captive and do what Abram did and take the appropriate actions necessary to set the captive free as we are being led by the Spirit. May that be the case today at Countryside Covenant Church and through all His church throughout the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. It's a message that, again, we need to hear. It's a simple message, but it's a message that is profound in its seriousness. You clearly indicate that people are captive and don't have the power to break free from their captivity of sin, brokenness. I pray, Lord, that each and every single one of us would become more sensitive to the enslavement that the people around us are in and 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 the trials that other people are facing. I know I need to do that in my own life. I'll be the first one to tell you that. I pray that you would help me to become more sensitive to that. That you would help all of us to become more sensitive to that. Help us to be mindful that we're living in a world where people are separated from God and are, ca- and are taken captive by the enemy. And help us, to be willing to be, help us to be willing vessels like Abram, outsiders that people may not expect to be used by you to accomplish your great work of salvation in the lives of those who are broken. We thank you for this opportunity and for the privilege of being partners with you and doing the work that you have called us to do here in setting the captive free. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and may your name be praised for all that you do in and through us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let us continue our worship this morning by singing, Behold Our God. Would you please stand if you are able? Ooh.